Hey there, we're so glad you tuned in today. We would love to hear how God is using this podcast to encourage you. You can do so by visiting our website at wearefreedomlife.com. Welcome to Freedom. I am super thankful for the fact that my family recently got to do a little vacation. Um, Every once in a while when you just step away, uh, you get a different perspective and you get to experience some different things. One of the things that my family got to experience while we were on vacation uh, was we went to Sight and Sound. How many of you guys have ever gone to Sight and Sound? Yeah, lots of hands. Okay, so you guys are totally connect with what I'm saying. If you have never been to Sight and Sound and you want to watch the gospel, the Bible come to life, literally come to life. Um, I encourage you to make a trip to Lancaster County um, where the, you know, the cows run wild and the milk flows free. Um, and in the middle of like cow country, there is this huge, and I do mean huge theater, 180 degree theater, uh, where they bring Bible stories to life. Um, we have had uh, the blessing of seeing uh, a few of them uh, as a husband and wife, and I think even once while we were dating. Um, the one we got to see most recently was Jesus. Yeah, I mean, how do you beat Jesus? Like, I don't know. Um, well, maybe Esther, she's coming next. And so, but we got to see Jesus, which was absolutely incredible. And while I'm watching it, um, something powerful happened in me. You, you, you laugh, you, you cry, you're like, wow, I never thought of it that way. Perspective change. But what they did in the midst of the production was uh, a little um, uh, well, technical word for it. It's a pericope, but a, a section of the text of the Bible um, come to life in three quick stories. Those three quick stories were the demon-possessed man in Mark chapter 5, uh, a woman with an issue of blood, she was uh, lifelong hemorrhaging, uh, and also in Mark chapter 5. And a story about a guy named Jairus, who was a synagogue ruler, who had a very sick, dying daughter. And masterfully in front of me, uh, they unfolded these stories, and it allowed me to see my favorite section of three stories come to life before me. I was so impacted by it. I was crying at parts. I was laughing at parts. I was, my mind was blown away at parts. I felt... I had an opportunity to share something with you this morning. We're not in a series. This one's a standalone. And so I thought what I would do is share with you uh, three of my favorite stories. The story of the demon-possessed man, the story of the woman with the issue of blood, and the story of a guy named Jairus. They're all in Mark chapter 5. This is what my heart is for you today, that when we experience these good news encounters, these I call them gospel encounters, uh, the word gospel literally means good news. Why is it good news? Because it's declaring freedom to those who are captive. I don't know about you guys. I don't know if you've ever been stuck in anything. I don't know if you've ever been, uh, I've been stuck in some things. I thought I could get into certain things like the Playland thing at a McDonald's one time to get my son and realized that somehow I supernaturally had widened in my adulthood and I was stuck. And the moment I got free, I can tell you there was a joy in my heart. There was a joy that I needed to share. Okay. We're talking about that kind of joy, good gospel story, but we want to inspire you and encourage you and challenge you in your faith journey this morning. Before we leave here today, my desire is for each of us to know Jesus as savior, healer, and giver of hope. Through these 
gospel encounters that we're going to experience, our faith and lives, like those who experience them, will be ruined for normal. Or as pastor has been preaching for the last couple of weeks, we will forever be unordinary. So if you would bless me, if you have your Bible, you have it on your phone or whatever, you wanna follow along, make sure that I'm not getting off track. Mark chapter five, Mark chapter five, the gospel of Mark. Before we jump in too fast, you need to know who's writing this. Uh, Mark, his actual name is John Mark, but how many guys have names that you just cut down, right? Or they totally change on you. Mine is Christian. My parents called me CJ and because my dad didn't want me called Chris. And so for years and years and years and years, everyone called me CJ. I don't know. So John Mark, we just call him Mark. But check him out. He grew up in Jerusalem. His mother's house was used as a meeting place for the early church. He was among the first generation Christians. He had a unique opportunity. This one blew me away. I didn't even realize that. He had a unique opportunity of ministering with three apostles. The apostle Paul, apostle Barnabas, and the apostle Peter. And he was very close to the apostle Peter from whom he draws most of his experiences for writing his gospel. Peter, if you remember, was one of the three tight ones. Jesus had 12 disciples. He had three he was really close with, Peter, James, and John. And then there was John, who always seemed to be in the right place. Amen. Anyone know that a guy like that? They're always in the right place. That's our John, always at the hip of Jesus. But according to history, he is clearly the, uh, the um, author of this book. He was writing this in Rome to Roman Christians who were experiencing incredible, incredible persecution. Sometimes we think we're being persecuted as Christians because like Chick-fil-A is being like, you know, closed on a Sunday or, you know, he makes people, un- Kathy Truitt made people unhappy by saying marriage is a man and a woman. And so like Christians are like, oh, we got to defend Chick-fil-A. But do you realize this morning as we sit here in comfort and air conditioning, we have brothers and sisters around the world who literally had to sneak out of their homes, sneak into a place where they huddle around maybe just a page or a passage of the word of God. And with tears and joy in their heart, they share the love of Jesus with one another. Those same Christians know that the strong possibility that if they are caught on the way there or caught on the way home, they'll give their lives. Mark's writing to people who are experiencing those things. He uses the stories in them to both encourage them and give them hope that Jesus is there with them and will bring them through. Powerful, powerful. Sometimes we read things in the Bible and we just flip it through and I don't want us to run too fast ahead. I'm doing it old school, so I gotta lick the fingers and flip the page. Okay. Got my iPad over there, but it just makes me nervous. Hallelujah. So let's open our Bibles. We're gonna read Mark 5, 1 through 20. I'm old, I have to take off the glasses. Large print, praise God. Mark chapter five, verse one. They came to the other side of the sea, to the region of the Gennesarenes. As soon as he got out of the boat, a man, he being Jesus, a man with an unclean spirit came out of the tombs and met him. He lived in the tombs and no one was able to restrain him anymore, not even with a chain. Because he often had been bound with shackles and chains, but had torn the the chains apart and smashed the shackles. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was crying out and cutting himself with stones. 
When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and knelt down before him and cried with a loud voice, what do you have to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you before God, do not torment me. For he had told him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. What is your name? Jesus asked him. My name is Legion. He answered him, because we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send him out of the region. A large herd of pigs was there feeding on the hillside. The demons begged him, send us into the pigs so that we may enter them. So he gave them permission and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs. The herd was about 2,000 and it rushed down a steep bank into the sea and drowned there. This is a buckwild story, y'all. The men who tended them ran off and reported it to the town and the countryside and people went to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus and saw the man who had been demon possessed sitting there dressed and in his right mind, they were afraid. Does anyone catch the irony in that? Just saying, dude's naked, living in a tomb, bound with chains and shackles. That doesn't freak them out. They came and saw the man who was, had been, was no longer demon-possessed sitting there, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs. Then they began to beg him, Jesus, to leave their region. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged him earnestly that he might remain with him. Jesus did not let him, but told him, go to your home, to your own people, and report to them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So he went out and began to proclaim in the Decapolis, the 10 cities, how much had been done for him. And they were all amazed. Our first gospel Encounter here is a bit of a wild ride on the wrong side, if you know what I'm saying. They went to the other side. Everybody cut yourselves on the wrong side of somewhere. Uh, we went to Fine Arts Nationals a long, long time ago, our first trip. Uh, we were in Washington, D.C., and you know it's easy to take too many wrong turns, right? Baltimore Inner Harbor is beautiful. Three blocks off of Baltimore Inner Harbor. A little more creepy when you got junior hires, you know what I'm saying? Praise God. Yeah, well, they were on the other side. The crazy thing is not necessarily uh, what Jesus encountered, even though that was a lot, right? But where he was encountering this person and who he was encountering. See, this is a crazy story. Jesus had just performed a miracle and showed he had power over nature and caused the sea to stop. And then he comes into this place, which I'm gonna use a couple of terms for you. When I say Gentile, Jesus came to the Jews. He came to Israel. That's where he was proclaiming the good news. He takes a time out, takes a quick trip across to the other side with 12 guys. And as he gets out of the boat, he meets this dude. Interestingly, if you, if you have not read this, or this is the very first time you've heard this, um, who got out of the boat? Jesus. Who do they not say anything else about? 12 dudes are like, you're good. The vantage point from here is great. I, I will watch. Truly, he is the son of God. Go ahead. <laughs> you go for that, right? 
Yeah. Don't we do this followers sometimes? Whoa, Jesus, that was awesome. But you go ahead. We're just going to wait right over here in the boat, hoping we go back to the right side. So as they showed this uh, scene at sight and sound, it was powerful. And they did this cool thing and the whole nine yards. And it was just amazingly how they, they orchestrated this to make it look like the boat was sailing and, the, and, the, and the, the, uh, the other side of the lake was getting closer. But as uh, Jesus is getting off the boat, Judas, who we all know has issues, right? Judas in all of his glory is like, why are we even here? Right? Why are we even? Come on, anybody? Why are we even here? I don't want to go. That's a bad idea. I'm not about it. No, thank you. You ever have that guy? You ever see that guy get reinforced? Their opinion? They're like, why are we here? And then naked man coming out of a tomb, (laughs) cutting himself in chains, comes running up, and he's like, And in that moment, I'm like, God, forgive me. I've been that guy. The powerful moment and where I started crying is John, who was this ginormous African-American dude, which was totally cool. You're like, because you always picture John as this cute little kid. Dude was diesel. I was like, what? I was like, Judas, you better watch your mouth. I just stay, get in the boat and be quiet, man. John looks at him and says, Judas, you know why you say that? Because you have forgotten what it was like when he came for you. Now, you know me, I'm a crier, man, and I'm I'm lit. I'm like, Jesus came for me. Right? I'm already, I'm done. My wife's like, oh boy, here we go, you know? She's like, why did I choose this? Why am I here, you know? So I'm lit, I'm crying, this is jacked up. And then, and then to top it all off, man, they had mute music to it. They started singing, he came for the one. And I'm like, oh my Jesus. But you know, in that moment, I went from theological dude, like, oh, that's pretty interesting that Judas had that perspective and John had that counterpoint. I'm totally thinking that. And then I'm getting emotional about, whoa. And then in an instant, I was transformed into the guy who almost drank himself to death on numerous occasions. The guy who took a 38 special, snuck it out of a box he should never have been in and said, maybe it'd just be better if I weren't here. And that overwhelmed me. And I'm like, in that moment, when I didn't love him, when I didn't know him, when I didn't care about him, he came to me. Literally, he came to me. This guy did not have the Jewish upbringing. He knew nothing about a Messiah. He knew nothing about the coming Christ. He knew none of that. All he knew was that a boat showed up and Jesus stepped out. And the demons inside of him knew exactly who that was and it was not good news for them. And so he runs and he falls at the feet of Jesus. Interesting, right? This whole thing, this whole story doesn't make it. Wrong side. Why are we here? Wrong side. Transformation happens in this man's life. You got this crazy thing about the pigs. I don't understand the pigs. There's some things that we put in the Bible just to confuse us, right? Because when we get to heaven, we're like, Huh? Uh, now we can be like, well, 
You see, the, the pig, the swine, is an unclean animal. And the Lord sent the unclean demons into the unclean animals and thus freeing them out. Like, okay. I didn't make that up. I literally read that in like five commentaries. I'm like, mm, okay. That may have been it. And then I was always under, I didn't ever understand why the people were afraid. I'd be afraid of the dude in the tombs who we can't bind up. I would not be afraid of the guy sitting there clothed looking like he's normal. But everything changed. A gospel encounter happened. Good news came. The guy who they knew was no longer. The question that makes me afraid is, whoa, if I go with you to that place, if I ask this Jesus into my life, what's he gonna do to me? What? What's he, what? Why is he here? We were fine. You were freaky. Let's just go back to business. Not only would it have cost them something personally in their own life, it also cost them financially. The cost of following Jesus, Dietrich Bonhoeffer writes an incredible book. the cost of discipleship. Guys, listen, there's a cost to following Jesus. If you think it's cost-free, you fooled yourself and we've, you've been lied to. Freedom is, uh, grace is free to you, but it's not cheap. He paid with it for his life. When we decide to follow Jesus, it'll cost us everything. But the exchange rate is great. Right? I'm giving him my death, he's giving me life. I'm giving him those things which will burn and burn and burn, as my one friend likes to say. It's all gonna burn. It's all gonna burn. The exchange is awesome. But sometimes, like the disciples, we can be just so distracted by the difficulties, the dangers, and the discomforts of following Jesus that we're like, nah, I'm not gonna go. We'll just stay right here. The man's transformation was powerful. He went from tormented, exhausted, alone, ostracized, made fun of, talked about, but never to, literally mentally tormented, to being in his right mind standing before Jesus. Now, if you experience that transformation, you'd be like, dude, I wanna go. Happened for me, March 24th, 1996, an altar at Harrisburg First Assembly. I got saved, I was bawling. I looked at Jesus, I said, listen, you're never getting rid of me. Wherever you want me to go, whatever you want me to do, to whomever you want me to go, wherever you want me to go, I'm not even gonna ask you why. You just send me. My journey's been crazy. If you look at my resume, if you look at the places that we've been, you're like, what are you doing? I've literally had people be like, I had one person one time tell me, you've made some poor choices in ministry. Goes that large church, great choice. Leaving it, not so good. I was like, yeah, sounded like a guy who was in heaven. Thrown it all. Decided to go be a baby in a trough. Bad decision? Sometimes we get too much like Judas and we, we, we forget we forget what it was like when he came for just us. Powerful, powerful, powerful. 
So the people want him to leave. Mark couldn't have expressed for us more powerfully. And, and Pastor Alicia, we've experienced this to heartache that people that we love in churches can experience God in a moment powerfully, see the miraculous miracles personally, even be blessed by them, but still that's not enough for them to follow him, right? How many people saw Jesus's miracles? Thousands came, right? Feeding the 5,000, the healings, like all that, even the disciples, right? Judas still bounced after over three years of ministry. Mark's letting us know, listen, it's not about seeing the miracle in the moment that will transform you. It's about trusting him and having faith in him and choosing to follow and obey. That will transform your life. I think that is the greatest heartache of ministry. We provide atmospheres for people to experience God and we watch people leave unchanged. Not because the presence of God wasn't there, not because God wasn't ready, not because there weren't miracles, but because people chose, can you leave? And so this guy, this crazy encounter ends like this. The disciples were dumbfounded in the boat, right? Y'all listen, church, we need to get out the boat, get out the church, go reach the world, right? They were dumbfounded in the boat. The demon-possessed man was saved, full of faith, and committed to living a life for Jesus. Jesus commissioned this dude to be the very first evangelist. 12 guys in a boat, been traveling with him, haven't caught it yet. Naked dude in the tombs, cutting himself with rocks, full of demons, has one encounter with Jesus, and Jesus is like, go be an evangelist. He's like, bet, I'm off. (laughs) Takes his gospel, good news encounter, and goes and shares it with everybody. Interesting later, and I may have shared this with you before, Paul goes to the Decapolis later in his ministry travels, and there's a tomb to an unknown God for which he is able to talk about the gospel of Jesus. Some commentators say, demon-possessed dude tilled the soil so Paul could reap a harvest. Isn't it just like God, the first evangelist, ain't a Jew? It was the dude on the other side who was jacked. Guys, that's a gospel encounter. It's what happens when we encounter Jesus. It ruins us for normal. It leaves us change. If we will trust in him and put our faith in him, everything changed. The crowd, you know, they were fearful at the power of God, but I think they were more disturbed by what the cost of salvation would mean to them personally. That's why they were afraid. If he did that to him, what will he do to us? And what will it cost us? Can I ask you real quick, before we move on to our next story, who do you relate to? Jesus, the disciples? Maybe you've been that guy. Maybe you forgot you were that guy. You need to be reminded you were that guy so that you're not like Judas and you're more like John. Get out the boat. Go share Jesus with somebody. He will set them free. Our next two stories, and you're like, whoa, man, we got two more to go. Yeah, but listen, this is like a combination. This is like a, this is like a two for one, right? I love that when I go to a Giant or Weiss Market and it's like buy one, get one free. 
right? You're like, whoo, twice the grub for same price. Praise the Lord. Here comes twice the grub for the same price. We're going to Mark chapter five, verses 21 and 43, okay? Mark chapter five, 21 through 43. We're gonna meet two amazing peeps. Like I said, two encounters in one, and this one is on the right side of the lake. So when Jesus had crossed over again by boat to the other side, this is the good other side, this is the strong side, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the sea. One of the synagogue leaders, a guy named Jairus, came when he saw Jesus and fell at his feet. Now, this is an unusual situation. And begged him earnestly, my little girl is dying. Come and lay your hands on her so she will get well and live. So Jesus went with him and a large crowd was following him and pressing up against him. Now a woman suffering from bleeding for 12 years. 12 years she's been suffering. Had endured much under many doctors. She had spent everything she had and was not helped at all. On the contrary, she became worse. Having heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his clothing, the hem of his garment. For she said, if I could just touch his clothes, I will be made well. Instantly, her flow, her hemorrhaging ceased, and she sensed in her body she was healed of her affliction. What the what? At once, Jesus realized in himself that power had gone out from him and turned around and looked at the crowd and said, who touched me? Who touched me? your hands off of me. Is that how you say it, babe? Don't touch me. Leave me alone. Yeah, sometimes my kids were like snugglers and huggers and my wife likes her halo area in football, they call it. Right? They're like, hey, hey, hey. Invitation only. A couple of you giggling out there because you're like, mm-hmm, yes. She doesn't like to be touched when she's sleeping. Like, leave her way alone. Like, hey, you over there? Yeah, leave me alone. I'm fine. Don't come back over here. Jesus said, who touched me? His disciples said to him, do you see the crowds pressing up against you? And you're going to ask us who touched you. You ever think the disciples sometimes are just like, man, I had enough of them questions. These parables, you don't ever answer a question. Who touched me? I don't know who touched you. Meanwhile, they're probably getting swamped by people, right? Like, it's like, it's like bodyguards and paparazzi, people all up on them. They're trying to shove everybody off, like, get, get away from the mountain. Get, get, get. He's like, who touched me? He's like, boy, I'm about to. Everybody touched you. Like, I don't know. They were just frustrated. But Jesus was looking around to see who had done this, and the woman with fear and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, That's a statement in itself. Knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. Two encounters so far, two good news gospel encounters, both people falling down. One because the demons in the dew were afraid. The second one because this woman of faith knew if she could just touch the hem of this man's garment, she would be healed. Interestingly, uh, in the Greek, the word for healed there is also saved. So she kneels before Jesus and she tells him the whole story. She's like, this is what happened. 
I've been suffering for 12 years. I've gone to every doctor. I've lost every penny. But when I heard you were coming, I knew who you are. I know who you are. I believe in who you are. I knew I had faith that you could heal me. And if all y'all ever met someone who's like seriously emotional at a moment, it was probably, and I knew if you would touch me, I would be healed. Again, we become familiar with the story, right? Where's Jesus going? He's headed to Jairus' house to heal a dying girl. Can you imagine Jairus right now? Lady, please, cut it short. You ever been with someone trying to have a, long, a hard time telling a story and you're like trying to finish it for them? And he healed you, let's go. <laughs> Praise God. But Jesus looks at her and says, daughter, term of intimacy, daughter, interesting, he's going to heal somebody else's daughter. Jesus had met a daughter of his own along the way and said to her, your faith has saved you, go in peace and be healed from your affliction. Whoa. Whoa, 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 whoa. We're gonna pause for a second. And you know what? We're not gonna pause. Let's just keep going. We'll get the whole story out and then we'll go back. So he tells her, go in peace. He heals her and gives her peace. She went for healing. She got something else in return. She went to have the bleeding stopped and the very blood of Christ healed her body, saved her soul and gave her peace. While he was still speaking, people came from the synagogue leader's house and said, hey, Jairus, your daughter is dead. Why bother the teacher anymore? I always thought like, the heck, man, the dude just lost his daughter. You're telling him he's bothering the teacher? Like what? You realize Jairus came by himself, right? He didn't have a whole entourage following with him, right? His daughter was sick at home dying. Jairus came running. Who amongst you, if your baby girl is sick, would not go running? Is there a greater heartache in the world than when your children, your wife, your loved ones are sick and there's nothing you can do to make it better? And these people just ignorant, like, hey, man, your girl's dead. Don't bother him anymore. They didn't have faith in Jesus. Matter of fact, they were pretty, like, anti-Jesus. So, like, look, don't bother with this junk anymore. She's dead. He didn't do nothing. Let's go. You have someone in your life like that? Oh, you and this Jesus junk. Just let it go. Look, you still got problems. What's your problem? He didn't heal that. He didn't take care of that. Your kid's still jacked. You're still hurting. You ain't got no money. And you're serving Jesus. Well, apparently he's not doing anything for, okay. Sidetrack. When Jesus overheard what, he, what they said, he told the synagogue leader, he's like, don't be afraid. Only believe. Don't be afraid. Obviously, fear when you hear your girl is dead will come creeping in. Fear is the enemy of faith. Fear is faith in things that aren't of not of God. I believe it is over. 
I believe you can heal her. I believe it is over. Do you hear the difference in those two phrases? I believe you are the son of God. I believe you are Jesus. I believe you can heal her. I believe she's dying, but if you pray for her, she will be well. Two, I believe she's dead and it's too late. Who of you have said that to your own self? I believe it's too late for me. I believe this problem is overwhelming. It's too much for me. Interesting, the the verb tense here where it says only believe, it means believe and keep on believing. This very famous poet once said, don't stop believing. I got a journey tattoo, but not for the band, not for the band, okay. Not the band, not the band. But he basically told them, and maybe that's where they got it. Don't stop believing. He did not let anyone accompany them except for Peter, James, and John. Uh-oh. When Jesus separates just the three from the crowd, it's about to get serious, right? Like I said, when your mom gets, stops talking, just walks in the kitchen, grabs a wooden spoon. Some of you grew up under the wooden spoon era. Yeah, praise the Lord. There, yeah. Thought it'd be cool one day, broke one. She's like, mm, metal spoon. She's like, boy, let me teach you a lesson. Mommy was showing you grace. No. Um, so he didn't let anyone come with him, but Peter, James, and John, they came to the leader's house and saw a commotion. People were weeping and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, why are you making a commotion and weeping and wailing? What's all the noise? Which is kind of awkward if you walked into a funeral home and people are crying. He's like, yo, what's all the weeping about? You'd be like, you're about to be in the box next to my friend, bro. You need to stop it. Right? Just an awkward response. But listen, I heard uh, once in college that um, in, in the tradition, they would pay people, professional mourners, to come and weep and wail at the funeral. Do you realize if you're a paid performer, you have no personal attachment to the deceased? And if the dude's telling you to stop, he's asking you to stop your show. Yeah, that name, but you got someone a little dramatic in your world. You know what I'm saying. No, don't put a name there because then you got to repent later. You know what I'm saying? I'm just saying. Right? And if it's you, Jesus loves you. We just said about that, right? Just get a little less demon possessed and a little more happy on your end, right? Have you ever told them to stop their show? Just calm down. Husband tells his wife, just calm down. <laughs> just pour kerosene on that fire. <laughs> right? That's not working. And they're like, what? They're, they're just, what? So now they're indignant. They're like, who are you? Weeping and wailing. We're crying. We're here to, somebody die. Jesus said, the child's not dead. She's just asleep. And their weeping and wailing turned to laughter. Y'all can't go from weeping and wailing to laughter unless one of those is fake. Come on. You can't be weeping over the loss of a dead one. Here's some guy say she ain't dead, she's just sleeping, and instantaneously turned into hilarious laughter. You were faking one of them. And I'm guessing that's not the laughter. They laughed at him, but Jesus put them all outside. Get out. 
took the child's father and the mother, those who cared genuinely, right? Who had faith to believe for healing. He took them and those who were with them, Peter, James, and John, entered the place where the child was and then took the child by the hand and said to her, something really cool, which translated means little girl, I say to you, get up. Oh, I'm sorry. And the ending was, she did. She got up. Listen, immediately the girl got up and began to walk. She was 12 years old. Old enough to remember what Jesus had done. Yeah. Gospel encounter. There's a couple of them in this one. Then, uh, everyone was astounded at this. Then he gave them strict orders not to tell anybody anything about it. And they gave her something to eat. That last part would make a lot more sense if it was a 12-year-old boy. Like, he was healed, and then he was hungry. I'm like, good Lord, boy, how much can you eat? Yes. Someone's phone is going off over there, and it sounds deliciously awesome. Can you imagine if I did a whole sermon that way? It would be impossible to pay attention. My wife's like, please, God, no, do not inspire my husband. Why am I here? So let's look quickly at the people who were there. You had the leader of a synagogue who was not necessarily theologically what we would call aligned with Jesus. And running to Jesus and begging Jesus and bowing before Jesus and asking Jesus to do Jesus' things was career suicide. Because how many of y'all know, as Benjamin Franklin says, three can keep a secret if two are dead? Right? You're in the middle of a town, the leader of the town man of authority and position comes running and kneels before Jesus, who everyone's like, mm-mm, that's not good, that's not good. But in faith, he responded and said, I believe. And then he was delayed in his need. How many of you guys have ever been delayed in your need? How many of you guys do really well with delays? Anybody here? Your joy is being delayed. Praise the God, my wife's late again. Hallelujah, I love that. That's not genuine, right? How many of us, when God delays in answering our prayer, we get freaked out, yeah? How many guys, when you, when you think he's delayed and then it's too late, and then all of a sudden you're like, oh, it's over, and you struggle in your belief? And Jesus said, listen, 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 listen. Shh, 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 shh. Don't be afraid. Continue to have the trust that you had in me, Right? Lots of times we start in the spirit and try to finish in the flesh. What God called us to in the spirit, we try to work out in the flesh. And we find ourselves having no faith because we've gone from faith to flesh. And the flesh can never fulfill what God has called us to do in the spirit. See, all these people were in crisis. Crisis doesn't make you who you are. Some people are like, I'm great under pressure. It makes me who I am. I'm like, no, no, no. Crisis reveals who you are. Crisis reveals who you are. It doesn't make you who you are. It reveals it. On your way home today, let the car in the left or right lane come over to the left lane when you're trying to be more expedient in the fashion in which you're trying to travel. Suddenly, grace just goes out the window. (laughs) 
kids, we're about to have a repentance session. <laughs> Daddy's about to lose his mind. Why are they here, <laughs> right? Praise God. It reveals it, it reveals it, it reveals it. I love these three stories for many, many reasons. Um, in my life and in my journey, at one point or another, I have been each person, right? There was a time in my journey where uh, I was the demon-possessed man, literally full of angst and frustration and, and anger and depression and, and trying to fill the hole in my world with everything I could possibly fill it with. And when we look at that guy, sometimes the judgmental in the crowd, the self-righteous in the crowd, we're like, well, what did he do to get himself in that situation? What did he play with? What did he open himself up to? Maybe he's getting what he deserved. Oh, Christian, follower of Jesus, may we never be those. May we never be those. Or we, like Judas, will be in danger of forgetting that he came for us. The demon-possessed man was incapable of reaching to Jesus. Jesus reached out to him. He had never heard. He did not know. But when he encountered, even the wickedness in him bowed before the feet of Jesus Christ. If that's you, you've been marked by that experience. And you can look at those with those same, others with those same markings and recognize what's going on. But you remember the freedom that you were given. And now you have authority to speak into their life and say, I once was bound, but now I'm free. And what I have freely received, I can give to you. Put your faith and your trust in Jesus. For those of you who have that journey, that is your responsibility. If he just wanted us holy and saved and loving him, at the moment of salvation, he would take us out. But he leaves us here so that others may have gospel encounters good news encounters. You look at the woman with the issue of blood. This woman did everything in her power to help her situation. She did everything you're supposed to do. She went to every single doctor. All of them made her worse. She spent all of her money. She wasn't asking for handouts. She wasn't feeling entitled about anything. She literally gave all that she had to find a cure. Her sickness was not her fault. It was not a result of her sin. It was not a result of a, of a misspent life. It was a condition that she had going on inside of her. How many of you know someone who struggles that way? I know a couple of people who struggle that way. And some of them are the most amazing worshipers of Jesus I've ever met. One in particular, every time I'm near her, she makes me want Jesus more. Because I know what she's going through physically. Does it mean she doesn't have dark moments? Of course. But you know what this, the, the overall heart of her life is? To worship. In the midst of the pain. Maybe that's you today. You've got all kinds of stuff going on on the inside. And you've done everything you could possibly do. And you've tried it all. And you've exhausted all of your possibilities. Can I tell you? Jesus can heal you. You're like, yes, I know I've been praying. I've been waiting. I've been asking. Maybe you're in the moment of an interruption. 
Don't be afraid. Keep believing. Maybe your issue is not your issue. Maybe your issue is somebody else. Maybe you have a wayward child. Maybe you have a loved one who, who is far from God and that aches and you feel like there is the, the, it's impending doom. And so you, on behalf of those who cannot get there, go yourself. And you say, Jesus, I need you to do something. I need you to heal. I need you to help. And Jesus seems like he's taking a little bit longer than you'd like. Can I whisper some words of encouragement to you today? Don't be afraid. Keep believing. He's on his way. He is able to do exceedingly abundantly, it says in his word, more than you can ask or imagine. I want to conclude with this, and if you know me, I'm doing really well. I want to ask you three questions about three people. So what about your gospel encounter? Do you, we're going to put this up on the screen in black. Do you identify with the demon-possessed man? Have your circumstances and situations left you overwhelmed, exhausted, and feeling alone? Your pain may be the consequences of self-inflicted wounds. You may feel as though you deserve to be alone. But Jesus wants you to know this morning he loves you, he will forgive you, and he still has a hope and a future in you and for you. From this encounter, we learn that Jesus is always pursuing us. Maybe you're more like the woman with the issue of blood. Your hurt and pain is not of your own making. You've sought out help, but you're still hurting. The issues you face have robbed you of life-giving relationships that you want restored. It was bad that she was bleeding, but that also made her ritually unclean, which meant she could have no physical touch, no worship experience, no personal experience. Anyone she touched, she would make unclean. Her very presence would make a place unclean. So she had to live on the outskirts of everything. Maybe you feel like you're on the outside of everything. Even though you're inside here, you still feel like you're on the outside everywhere else. You know Jesus can heal you and you desire his healing touch. Well, I wanna encourage you this morning, Jesus wants to heal you, save you, and restore peace to your soul. From her story, we learn that we never go unnoticed. We never go unnoticed. Who touched me? He asked questions not for his benefit, but for ours. He asked that question so she would know that he knew that she touched him. And so he could give her an opportunity to come before him, tell her story, and he could have the opportunity to give her peace. Whew. Maybe you're like Jairus, the leader of the synagogue. You follow Jesus you know following Jesus may cost you everything, but not trusting it may cost you more. Jesus wants you to know interruptions will happen and bad news may come your way, but his timing is always perfect. Like it doesn't feel perfect, I know. Faith and feelings have very little to do with one another. As a matter of fact, faith is being sure of what you hope for and certain of what you don't see. Feelings are being certain of what you see and what you feel. Anybody? Anybody? Anybody find that they live more by feelings than by faith? 
And it's not that you don't believe, that you just can't feel it, and that's the rub. If I could just feel it, it'd be fine, but yet then it wouldn't be faith. And so he literally allows us to feel like this ain't working. So that the roots of our faith go deeper and deeper and deeper and say, I don't care what I feel, I know what is true. You can tell me she's dead, but I'm with him and he's on the way. And so I was asking for healing. What I'm getting is resurrection. Bonus. His timing is always perfect and we never need to be afraid when he is with us. From this encounter, we learn that we must never stop believing. All three of these stories are in the book of Mark. All three of these people have been marked forever by the situations and the circumstances of their life. Every single person in this building, from the youngest to the oldest, all of us have been marked by the situations and the circumstances in our lives. All of us have been marked by gospel encounters. All of us have been marked by negative encounters. We have all been marked by our journey of life. But what Jesus does is he takes those markings, he takes that cup of pain, and through his refining fire, he makes that cup into a key. And that key sets other people free. Because because of his blood that was shed on the cross, and the testimony we have of his journey with us, and our journey with him, we have been called to go and make disciples and tell everyone the good news. That good news sets people free. Sets people free. For me, if it's out of sight, it's out of mind. I need reminders. I have several calendars. I have the same thing on all of them, but I just have to keep writing it down because sometimes like Judas, I'm stupid and I forget. I literally forget that he came for me. And he didn't just come for me. But when he came for me, he said, I'm going to set you free. And I'm going to send you to others that they may be free too. Not because of who you are, because of who I am and what I've done in you. I don't want you to forget that today. So this is what we're going to do. Everybody stand up. Guys, you can hit that soft music. Up at this altar, I have these marks, these bookmarks. They're all unique and individual, even though some of them may have similar colors. To create them, they came blank. Then they were crushed. Then they were unfolded. No longer perfect. Then they were inked and wetted down and then hot iron flat. The result is our life. We've all been marked. But you know what the little kids said when they saw them up here? Cool, what are those? Do you know what broken, hurting people will say when they see the love and the joy of Jesus in your marked body? joy. 
like, well, let me tell you. I had a gospel, a good news encounter with Jesus. And he took all these marks and made them beautiful. So beautiful, in fact, that my marks attracted you to me and me to you. And now I have an opportunity to share freedom with you in a way you've never heard or experienced before. See, brothers and sisters, it's one thing to be unordinary in and of yourself. But Pastor Tony has been reminding us we need to be unordinary to the world as well. There were two mass shootings in the last 24 hours in our country. One, I believe, in Dayton, Ohio. Is that what it was? And one in El Paso. We're living in a world that is so broken that hurting people to free themselves from pain will go hurt people. That's a true principle. Hurting people will hurt people. When you're hurting, you will lash out. When your husband or wife says something that hurts you, your response is to hurt them back. When someone cuts you off, your response is to want to explain to them that's not right. Hurting people hurt people. But do you know what healed people do? Healed people heal people. When you've been forgiven much and you remember the forgiveness, you're more forgiving. Broken people know the joy of being set free and want to see others free. That's what God's called you to do today. So I want you to come in a moment as I pray and take a mark. Each one's unique, just like you. To put it somewhere, remind you before you leave your house or maybe in your car, before you get out of your car, you're going to encounter somebody who may be like the demon-possessed man, like the woman with the issue of blood, or like Jairus. And no matter how refined and squared away they seem, they may have a great need. No matter how fine they look on the outside, they may be literally bleeding on the inside from wounds you know nothing about. Or they may actually look buck wild. And you're like, why am I here? Do you know why you're here? Do you know why you're still here? Do you know why you're not home yet? Because you still have a mission to go set other people free. That's awesome. It's the greatest mission in the world. That doesn't happen by professional pastors only. I get the job of equipping you for ministry. Whether you're in the tavern or whether you're in the warehouse, whether you're in the hospital or the schoolroom, no matter where you go, no matter what you do, guys, you can be in a prison and bring Jesus to prisoners. I mean, come on. Is there anything more like awesomely devoted to like that? Setting captives, prisoners free in a prison where they may still be bound by walls, but their souls are free? In your big yellow truck. While people don't understand why they're being temporarily interrupted, you can transform their souls. Lord, we love you, we love you, we love you. And we thank you so much that you love us too. This is what I ask in Jesus' name.